Wow, what a tremendous praise set, guys. Uh, let's, let's give them a hand. Guys, joking in the back with Eric, he got in the, I think, second song of the set, and I said, man, you know, I might just take a leap of faith and flip on this microphone and just join in. <laughs> Eric said, Tony, you won't. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> so, uh, today's, uh, today's message, we're going to talk a little bit about the basics of uh, biblical finance. And, uh, you know, one thing that, uh, that I've experienced in life is that money is a lot of fun. How, how many of you have had some fun with money? Whatever that is, raise your hand. Some of you, how many of you have had fun with money, okay? So, so money is a lot of fun if you have some, right? Um, unfortunately, the problem is, is a lot of people are not having fun. Um, some people look like they are, some people act like they are, and, but a lot of times, something we don't see is that many of us are too scared of the bills to even walk to the mailbox each afternoon. And life doesn't look very fun whenever that's the case. In 2017, CareerBuilder.com did a study, and that study showed that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 78%. That means if you look down the road, either direction from where you're sitting right now, eight out of 10 people in your row have too much month left at the end of the money. Keep in mind what I just said. You have too much month left at the end of the money. The money runs out before the month ends. The fact is that being broke in America is very normal. It's very normal. And if you're in that camp, you're not alone. Um, for those of you who have heard this story, I apologize, but you're going to hear it again. Um, I feel like this, this is the, the best time to share it. For, for Tara and I, um, we knew that story all too well. We got married. We were convinced, uh, we convinced ourselves that we wanted to live the American dream. And if we wanted to do that, we needed a, a bigger house within the first few years. That wasn't, you know, it wasn't just enough to have a bigger house because I had this bright idea that the house that I had owned previously uh, to us getting married, that that was going to be an outstanding investment property. And so, um, remind you that, that we didn't, I didn't even own that house outright. The bank still, still owned part of it. And uh, unfortunately, since the equity was tied up in that new investment property that I, uh, that, that I was about to uh, have, we had nothing to put down on a new home loan, so that's exactly what we put down on our new home loan when we got married. And uh, we did this, uh, we found ourselves in the fall of 2007. We had two mortgages, no clue what was about to happen in 2008, which you can remember back that far, that was the housing market collapse. We had, um, we knew we wanted to start a family, and well, shoot, if you start a family, you've gotta have a, new car and so we went out and, and we bought uh, bought a new car and uh, again at that point in time they were just starting to offer six-year notes on a car so that's what we did and we still didn't have any money to put down so that's what we put down nothing on that loan and a few years later we had another added another brand new car because our family was growing because remind you Paxton and Caitlin were, were coming into the world about the same time and so we financed, uh, fully financed another car to add to our pile of uh, debt and our, our 
needs that we had. If only that were all, that would have been fine. Um, we financed furniture. We financed a snowblower, which has probably been used about four times since I bought it. We financed the lawnmower. We financed anything else that offered financing. We, we felt like that being able to afford something meant that you were able to make that minimum payment, which we were able to do. So we felt like that was fine. But to complicate things further, um, I had this bright idea as well that I could beat credit card companies at the game that they played. I love Discover Points. I love, uh, my wife, I'll just out her, she loved Old Navy cash or whatever you call that stuff that you get for using a lot of credit. Um, we felt like we were winning. Um, we even felt like we were winning because we just shuffled balances every once in a while to get that 0%. So we weren't paying interest, so we felt like we were doing something right. But we soon, believed, we soon learned that uh, God had more in mind for us than this. And uh, we wanted to give. We wanted less stress in our young marriage, as many do. And we wanted to be on the same page. We wanted, to, we wanted a better future uh, for our family. We couldn't guarantee any of those things the way that we were living our lives at the time. Now, I'm going to have you stay tuned for, for the rest of the story here uh, in a little bit. But I tell you our story because it's the same as probably 8 out of 10 of you, as I mentioned earlier. If there was anything within that little piece that you could relate to, it's not surprising. So I'm going to ask you a question here. I want some validation here. How many of you, I want to see hands, how many of you have done something really stupid with money? Just raise your hand. I'm, I've got mine. Okay. All right. I see, I see a lot of hands. So basically what I'm, what I'm seeing is that we've got some real honest people here, and then a few of you didn't understand the question. <laughs> um, biblical finance expert Dave Ramsey, he jokes and he says that if you've done something stupid with money, uh, you know what that makes you. What's that make you? Not normal. Makes you over 12, is what he says. We've all done something stupid with money. We've all done something stupid with money. And if you're struggling, struggling with money, if you've got bills piling up, um, if you're worried about retirement, or if you're worried about college expenses, or just the power bill, that makes you normal. So welcome to the club. But that's not what the devil tells us. Satan wants us to think that we're the only ones. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to be pushed back into the corners of the church with our guilt and our shame about money. He's a predator. Many of you know that firsthand. He, if he can feel like he separates us from the pack, he knows that he can pick us, up, pick us off and take us out. That's why money problems, they are consistently ranking the number one reason for fights within marriage in North America. It's also one of the top leading causes of divorce, just behind infidelity. It's also why college students, recent graduates, are all over the nation during crisis, one so large that it's almost impossible to imagine. The Federal Reserve Bank reports that student loan debt has now reached $1.3 trillion. With the average student leaving school in their early to mid-20s with nearly $40,000 in debt, 
That's not including the fact that they're carrying record high credit card balances compared to just a few decades ago. That's also the reason why bankruptcy continues to run rampant in our country. The Office of, uh, the, the, Office of the U.S. Treasury reports that in a 10-year period from 1998 to 2008, there were over 14 million bankruptcy filings in U.S. bankruptcy courts. Now, recent reports are showing that that number is actually coming down a little bit, it's subsiding, but here's the sad part. The main reason is because people can't even afford the fees that go along with bankruptcy. The problem, though, isn't money. Here's the problem. It's a lack of hope. It's a lack of hope. The problem isn't money. It's our own bad behavior. It's our own bad behavior. We already admitted it, guys. We do stupid things. We do. Oftentimes, I know at least I'm speaking for myself, when we do stupid things, it's always fun to find someone to blame on. You ever done that? We do everything that we can avoid, or we, we do everything we can do to avoid the pain that comes from doing stupid things. And here's the truth. Pain's a teacher. Pain is a teacher, it's instructive. It shows us where we went wrong and it points us back on the right path. Think about whatever you're, you were a child or think about your own children. If they touch a hot stove, that pain causes them to pull their hand away, correct? Pain is a teacher. If we spend all of our time avoiding the pain, we'll completely miss the lesson that's been put in front of us. Pain, Many of you know pain will make you open your Bible. Pain will also drop you to your knees in prayer. Our behavior is what is key. Dave Ramsey says that, that personal finance is 80% behavior. It's only about 20% head knowledge. And that's good news. It's really good news. 80% behavior. Who controls your behavior? I don't. You do. That's the good news. 20%, 20% head knowledge. So if you can do sixth grade math, you are probably doing a pretty, you probably have the, the possibility of doing a pretty good job on managing finances. So what behaviors do we need in order to examine our finances and get in line with God's ways of handling money? There are about 800 scriptures about money, so we've got a lot to get to. We probably better get started. <laughs> Just kidding. We're not going to go over 800 of them, but there are over 800 scriptures uh, in, in, about money. Jesus actually talked more about money than he did any other topic, including heaven, including hell, including temptation, including sin and salvation. Money's a big deal. Sometimes, though, we kind of get confused about this in, in the church. And let's be honest, some of you, if you knew I was going to be up here today talking about money, you would have left your wallet at home, or I left yourself at home, I, I don't know. But in church, sometimes we think that you know a, a sermon on money is just a plea for more, more giving. Um, but for Jesus, though, teaching about money was, was really an essential in preparation for a godly life. The Bible 
it doesn't have an op a, a bunch of complicated, hard to understand formulas on how to save or how to invest or anything like that. In fact, what the Bible teaches about money, it's really shockingly easy to understand. It's just really hard to do. And the reason why is because it's our behavior. Behavior is hard to change. Um, one thing that I learned is that if I can get control of the guy that I shave with each morning, I, I can learn to do better with my finances. That's a hard task. He's, a, he's an ugly mug staring at me in the morning, right? But if, but, but if I can get control of that guy, I can win. So we're going to take a look at some biblical principles of finance here. First one, get out of debt. Some of you who know me well knew that this was probably going to be on here, right? So get out of debt. The Bible tells us that the rich rule over the poor and that the borrower is slave to the lender. Slavery. It's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. And I don't think that's by chance that that's, that's, that's perfectly selected in Scripture here. It's pretty strong, but if you've been there or if you are there right now as a borrower, you know exactly what that feels like. You know exactly what it feels like to not be able to make ends meet. In Matthew 6.24, we read that no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one, you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to stay focused. You have to stay focused. Keep your focus on, on God. So I want you to think, think for a minute. What would life be like if you had no payments? What would life be like? Just think about it. Think about it for a minute. What would life be like if you had no payments? Would you give more? Would you save more? Would you have more to spend if you didn't have payments? You would. What could we do for God's kingdom if we didn't have as many payments as what we have? Think about what we could do for our community. Think what we, what we could do for others. Just think about what we could do if this whole room right now were, were out of debt. Sometimes people kind of get confused and they think, well, I've got to borrow money to do what God's calling me to do. You hear that a lot. God's calling me to do this. And then... I go take out a loan. Um, if God wants you to do something, folks, he's going to send you the money. Some way, somehow, he's going to provide. Nowhere in the Bible is it discussed in a positive light um, or, you, or where debt is used to further the kingdom. It's never mentioned in the scripture. Never in the scripture is it mentioned, debt mentioned in a positive light. So don't get it twisted, though. The, the Bible does not say that it is a sin to have debt. It doesn't say that. But it just doesn't discuss it in a positive light. It's always discussed in a negative light. Number two, act your wage. This isn't a typo. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a typo, although I have been told many times I need to act my age, and it was probably wise advice. 
Um, I've yet to probably exhibit that very often, those of you who know me well, but, uh, but no, act, act your wage. Simply what this means is that live, you need to live within your means. You need to live within your means. And Proverbs 21, 20 states, In the house of the wise are choice stores of food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. It's pretty simple. Live within your means. If you do so, you're wise. In 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, we see that godliness with contentment is great gain. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful. Contentment is such a tremendously difficult thing for us to have. It's so difficult. I, I, I see, and I, I know Josh talks a lot up here about social media and, and, and the struggles that, that can consume someone, and it is, it's true. I don't know how many times, you know, I hear whether it's Tara or I or one of the kids and they, they see something, something out there on social media, oh man, I wish I had that, oh man, imagine if we just had that. The key is contentment. Stop keeping up with the Joneses. Sorry if you're a Jones in here. But stop keeping up with them, because I've got a little newsflash. They are broke. They're broke. 90% of what you see in social media that you love and desire to have that you don't already have is probably not theirs. It's probably covered by a bank or a credit card company and through some kind of financing somewhere. The Joneses are broke, so stop trying to catch them. Because the minute you do, the line moves, and you find something else that you're not content with. Contentment is so key. We've all done stupid things with money, but everybody can learn to live on less than what we make. And that's really what act your wage means. Number three is get on a budget. Get on a budget. Sometimes we do silly stuff, and then we ask we ask God to bless it. Scripture's going to tell us, though, a little bit more about how it really works. In Luke, it says, Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. A loving Father will give you only what you can handle. God's only going to give you what you can handle. If you can't handle a little, don't expect any more. Don't expect any more. I kind of compare this a little bit to uh, like a teenager learning how to drive. You know, reach that age of 16. Anna just had a birthday. She worked. In, she worked in kids. <coughs> Anna just turned 16 the other day. You know, loving parents don't throw Anna the keys to a nice new Corvette. <laughs> Part of that's because they have a plan and it doesn't involve Corvettes. Although Anna is extremely, extremely, uh, extremely responsible. You still don't hand the keys over to a beautiful new sports car to a child who has not proven themselves to be able to be trusted with a little yet. It's important for us to keep that in mind. So you better have a plan. I could talk for days about what budgeting looks like, and I do if you ever get me off to the side talking about it, but it's basically this. Be responsible. Be, re be an adult. Make a plan, make a plan on paper, make a plan on purpose, 
and do it before each month begins. If you do that, and if you're married, agree on it with your spouse. Doesn't mean you're going to agree on everything, but work through it with your spouse. If you do that, you will begin to win with money. You have to have a plan. The fourth principle today is saving and investing. You simply can't out-earn your bad money decisions. Many of us have tried it. Tried to uh, believe that, oh, well, I can do this. It's just going to mean a lot more overtime. Or I can do this. It just means I've got to take that second job. Or I can do this, but honey, that means you need to go back to work. Or I can do this, but there's so many reasons why we expect to be able to out-earn our bad money decisions. And it, and it, and it just doesn't happen. Saving and investing is important for, for a few different reasons. Um, one of them is, is that you need to save for an emergency fund. Um, my grandma, whenever I was growing up, I spent a lot of time with, with my grandmother, and um, she had two cookie jars. I found one of them, as you can tell. <laughs> she had two cookie jars. She had one that was on the kitchen table in the middle. It had cookies in it. That's the one I found. She had another one, though, that sat in her china cabinet in the dining room. And I remember when I, it was years. I saw, it, I saw it there. This cookie jar was there forever. And I thought, man, nobody ever gets in that. Those cookies have to be stale. So I never asked questions. I just knew that those cookies could not possibly be good because nobody ever got into that jar. But one time I, I asked my grandma, I said, I said, what? Why? why do you have two cookie jars? Is that one special? Like, what's special about those cookies? And she said that those aren't, those aren't cookies. And when I was uh, trusted enough for her to share the story with me, she shared, because it was just a little out of my reach, she shared that that was money that she saved for a rainy day. Um, most grandmas have some kind of, grandmas and grandpas have some kind of rainy day. They had a rainy day jar. Um, I don't know if that's still true today. Some of us still have, have that. But, what she, what she did is she would take a little bit of money. She was on a fixed income in retirement. She took a little bit of money every month, and she put it in that jar. And she showed me. She had a big wad of money, and I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen as a little child. Because my, my grandma didn't appear to, 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 to be a planner with money. But she, she was saving for a rainy day. Life is coming, and you need to be ready. If you don't have an emergency fund, you need to get one. You need to sock away a little bit of money. $1,000, just $1,000. You'd be amazed at what $1,000 can do to keep you from going into more debt because you blow a tire on your car. What $1,000 could do to assist you if someone comes down with an illness. $1,000 can help you move a little bit further. Eventually, you'll want to save more. The second thing with saving and investing is you need to save up and pay cash for things. And the reason why? You spend less when you use cash. Some of you have learned this. Um, I, I just challenge you to try it. Just try it. Take your credit card, even maybe your debit card. Put them away. Don't put them in your wallet. Don't put them in your purse for, for, for a short amount of time. Some of you are like sweating, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get out of here right now. <laughs> you're like, I can't do this. You're thinking about like that separation, you know, like, oh man, I can't do it. I've got to, get, I've got to go. I, I challenge you. Take that credit card or that debit card out of your personal wallet. Put it away. Leave it at home. If you spend cash, 
you will spend less. There was a study that was done by McDonald's. Um, most of you, if you're old enough, you remember when fast food restaurants didn't take credit. They didn't. They didn't take credit. McDonald's was the first one to take it. Um, but they, they've, they've conducted many, many studies about our purchasing behaviors. And they found that when you use a card over cash, you will spend 47% more at the counter. 47% more. That might have something to do with our weight issue in America, too, because if we're using credit, we're going to spend more. And the reason why is because when you use cash, you feel it. It hurts. Remember what we said about pain? It's a good teacher. So I encourage you, take the next 30 days, leave the cards at home, carry cash, and see what, see what happens to your spending. Other studies have actually shown that just in general, not at McDonald's specifically, but in general, you spend 18% more when you use plastic. That's debit or credit cards. 18% more than you, you uh, spend. Studies have also shown that cash will activate pain centers in your brain. Again, pain is a good teacher. Pain is a good teacher. Use cash. You'll spend less. Um, if you're good at bargaining, you might even get a better deal. The third one is to save up and invest in your future. If you ever have dreams of retirement, save up. Start now. If you're 20, start now. If you're 60, start now. It's important. If you're older than 60, start now. <laughs> save, save up for the future. The fifth and final principle uh, for biblical finance is to give. Some of you know this firsthand. I, I, I've seen you as a, cho a cheerful giver, but there is nothing more fun to do with money than give. Nothing more fun. Some of you, some of you give just freely, nonstop, out of the goodness of your heart. There's nothing more fun to do. So a challenge. This is a, a second, second challenge. Sometime in the future, save up for a little bit for this, but save up a little bit and take your kids or your grandkids out to eat breakfast. Let's say Thanksgiving morning, Christmas morning, one of those mornings that uh, it's on a holiday and really the only place open might be the local diner. Take your kids out to eat. Take your family out to eat. And you're going to find that there's going to be just a few people working that day. You know who works on Thanksgiving morning or Christmas morning? Somebody that has to. Someone that needs to work on Thanksgiving morning. So I challenge you, when it comes time to, to, to pay your bill, just put $100 underneath the, underneath the coffee cup. Whatever that dollar amount is, pray over it. Let God guide you on what that perfect gift would look like in that situation. And then I want you to take, take a step back. I've done this a few times. It's weird to do it, but it's fun. It's fun. Take a step back, whether it's you leave the, leave the restaurant, just kind of peek in the window, you're going to see that waiter or waitress, you're going to see them go, go over to that tip, and you're going to see their hand kind of slip up to their mouth. You might even see a little tear fall from the corner of their eye. And the reason for that is because God has just used you to keep her lights on. One month. God has just used you for 
to, to her, give her the ability to rush to whatever store she can get to to buy her child a, a gift for Christmas. God has just used you to put another meal on her table, even though she serves others meals all day, every day. There's no greater feeling than that. No greater feeling than the ability to give and, and, and be a cheerful giver. Now, the Bible teaches us that everything belongs to God. We're simply managers of what he entrusts us with. In Malachi, the Bible also teaches that we're to bring a tenth or a tithe to the storehouse. A storehouse in modern day times is, is the local church. Um, he states that, you know, if you do, I will open the floodgates of heaven, heaven and bless you. You know, while giving, giving is a biblical instruction, again, we're not told that it's a salvation issue. We're not told that we're condemned to hell if we don't give 10%. But here's the thing. He, he cares about you. He cares about you. So I want you to think about this. Think about the example of giving that God has given us. It's actually, you don't have to go very far. In fact, if this is the first time you've stepped foot into a church service, you probably still know this scripture. The example that he gives us is this. John 3, 16, the best known scripture probably that exists. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, I, I challenge you with this because we're made in God's image. God gave us this example of giving. What better example of a gift than the gift of eternal life through Jesus? He's trying to change that person in the mirror. He's trying to change that person that I shave with each morning. He's trying to change us. God has a game plan. He's our father. He wants good things. What good father doesn't want good things for their children? That's the way God feels about us. That's his example of giving. Earlier, I shared the beginning of, a, of the story that, that Tara and I um, have walked and share a little bit now about how it ends. So we started to weave these five principles into our lives and started weaving them together. We took a class that I'll, I'll share with you here in a few minutes uh, called Financial Peace University. We um, had about three and a half years of some really hard work. Really hard work. A lot of late nights. A lot of spreadsheets. I'm okay with that because I'm a nerd, but... <laughs> I, I can tell you that it was, not, it was not easy, but three and a half years with some hard work, dedication, whole lot of prayer, probably more prayer than she or I even knew the other one was immersed in. We paid off $113,000. And in three and a half years, we, we, we were debt free. We, we, we didn't stop there though. In the three years after that, that first uh, three and a half years, we followed becoming debt free. We saved an emergency fund. Remember grandma's cookie jar? We saved for an emergency fund, so we could stand, withstand anything that comes, that comes our way. We also began investing 15% of our income into retirement. 
because we do want to retire someday and we want to make sure that we're prepared. So we started investing. We started college funds for both of our kids. And honestly, those were things we never even thought of before. Never even thought of those things. And most importantly, we've been able to increase our giving in more ways than we could ever imagine. God has been so incredibly good to us. And one way that, that we try to give back is to, is to help teach others. Um, since that time, um, Tara and I have led, I think, a dozen uh, Financial Peace University classes and some other classes that some of the, the teams have been a part of and, and some couples um, in, in talking about teaching your kids about money. Um, I, I've I've uh, been trained as a, as a, a financial coach and do some one-on-one -on -one and two-on-one -on -one coaching, kneecap to kneecap. But one of the things that we have found that God has placed in our hearts is that this wasn't Get, this gift wasn't given to us, this knowledge, without him wanting us to share it with others. And so that's why I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you guys today. So what's going to happen is on Monday evenings, starting on August 26th, we're going to be uh, leading Financial Peace University, um, hopefully at Trace Place. We've got everything up and, up and moving over there. And it's a nine-week course. Basically, that course goes into much more depth the same things we learned about this morning over the course of nine weeks. Um, whether you're 20 or whether you're 70, whether you make $10,000 a year or $210,000 a year, um, this is a class that's for you. Um, we have childcare that will be provided free of charge. Um, there is a membership cost of the class, um, which is $100 per family. Um, and with that, you get a membership uh, workbook as well as uh, online access. Uh, to many, many, many tools. And uh, Tara's going to be back at the Welcome Center uh, by the, by the sign-up to answer some questions for you at the end of the service. So, so take a look there. But uh, real quickly, um, as the praise man makes her way up, I'm going to share a quick video with you. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. choices to change your life. We have 40,000 in student loans, 17,000 in car. Yeah, I owned a rental property and had a line of credit, just stuff. I had 16 credit cards. The proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes. We paid off $83,000. Wow, when desire comes. We paid off just over $113,000. When desire comes. $450,000 in the last seven years. Wow, it is the true life. God says this is how you get out of debt. You gotta run! 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 There's no doubt that this process called Financial Peace University works. The only question is whether you're gonna be involved. And so if you haven't signed up yet, now is the time. Here's what I'll tell you. If you do this stuff, broke people will make fun of you. Broke people will make fun of you. And it's not normal. It's not the normal way of doing things. In Hebrews 12, 11, we learn that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's that word pain again. 
and he's a good teacher. Keep that in mind. Maybe today it's a situation where you, you need prayer. Maybe, maybe you need to face that person in the mirror and start to recognize that you need God's help with finances. Maybe it's with a relationship. Those are interwoven so oftentimes. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it might be, I want to offer these altars here for you this morning. To my left, your right, if you'd like for someone to pray with you, I want you to come down with us as, as we, we close here. To my right or your left, uh, if you just want to come and pray and be alone with God, I encourage you to, to join us here. And if you do, do have a desire to surrender your, your life to God, confess of your sins, you have a desire to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to join a member of our team back at the cross in the, in the corner. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for, for this message put on my heart today. God, I just pray that if it plants just one single seed in a heart out there, that we know that your work has been done here today, God. God, I pray for those struggling with their finances, and I've been there. I know how it feels. God, we just ask for your hand in each person's walk in here as we strive to change our habits. Those habits that so oftentimes hold us back from the life that you have in store. God, I pray for this upcoming class. I just pray that you assemble the perfect group together and that they see through teaching and the examples that are shared, that they see you. God, I thank you for the, the millions you've delivered from, from this modern day slavery. God, I thank you for the hope. I thank you for the determination. And I thank you for the perseverance to continue to push forward even when it hurts. God, I just pray for the peace that we know truly exists when we follow you each step of the way. We ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen.